Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining today's podcast, which is a continuation of a podcast series on topics ranging from accelerating electronic provider payment adoption to developing a modern medical network. I'm Philip Cardona, and I'll be your host for today's discussion. Today, our topic will focus on coordination of benefits and the different types of activities and programs health plans are instituting to optimize cost savings with accurate eligibility information and proactive identification of undisclosed coverage prior to payment. Our guest in today's discussion is David Backert, Solutions Lead for Coordination of Benefits Offering here at Change Healthcare. David, before we get into the conversation, could you share a little bit with our listeners about yourself and your role here at Change Healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Philip. So I'm David Backert. I'm the Solution Lead for Coordination of Benefits here at Change Healthcare. I've been with this company for uh, right on seven years at this point, and prior to working with Change Healthcare, I was with the state of Kentucky's Medicaid department. Uh, that's where I got my first foray into uh, what is this broader TPL, COB space, and um, joined Change Healthcare uh, back uh, seven years ago, moved to Nashville, and have been with this team through several different iterations. And right now, our COB program focuses on cost avoidance, finding that other primary identification. Uh, we do a, a BPO service for Medicaid payers, where we'll do the actual post-payment collections, bring those hard dollars back in the door. And then we have a member management function uh, where we'll look to do a capitation boost program uh, by finding secondary Medicaid coverage for our Medicaid customers, for our Medicare customers. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. So let's dive in a little bit. I mean, you mentioned a few things there. And, you know, for the listeners, coordination of benefits, otherwise sometimes referred to as COB, which I'm sure they'll, we'll hear in the conversation. You know, it's, it seems relatively unknown, even kind of argue under the radar type of activity with some of our plans, you know, some of our customers and, you know, other customers that we're, we're, we're looking to work with here in the future. Could you just provide a high level overview around, and you mentioned TPL and COB. Are those, should our audience think of those as the same or should they be considered different as, and TPL meaning third-party liability, of course, right? So are there some nuance or some differences between the two? There is. So TPL is usually an umbrella term uh, that folks will use, and it's inclusive of coronation benefits and then also subrogation. And they are different. Subrogation is going to be finding some other third party who's at fault for a claim. So it's mm. going to include typically attorneys, liens, mass torts. You know, it's going to be the actual legal work of finding someone liable and recovering money from them. And that other party is not a health insurer. If you're actually looking where a, another health insurer is liable for a claim, that's where it falls to coronation benefits. So for COB that we're going to be talking about, these are instances where a member has dual coverage. They have two forms of insurance concurrently, and it can be you know, commercial and a second commercial insurance. It could be Medicaid commercial. It could be Medicare Advantage and commercial. But in some form or fashion, they have two forms of health insurance plans. So is that, you know, as you know, obviously, as a, I have my insurance through our employer here at Change Healthcare, and you know, I have a single coverage, is is it common for, you know, could you give us a little bit of idea of the commonality, if you will, around an individual, whether he or she even knows it, that they have two coverages, right? So could you talk us through a little bit about that? So the, the best source 
that we've seen independently have come from the, the Government Accountability Office. They released a study a few years ago trying to get a, a pulse on what's actually out there with dual coverage. Uh, they estimated that depending on the, the state market that 15 to 20 percent of the insured population has more than one insurance at a given time. And here at Change Healthcare, we think that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, the highest rates we find is that uh, 10 to 15 percent of the Medicaid population will have some form of other commercial insurance. Typically, and you can think of those are the folks who are uh, you know, real close to that federal poverty level. So they may be working, they may have a full-time hourly wage job, they're taking insurance through that uh, employer, but then they also qualify for Medicaid and their, their family has Medicaid benefits. The, the rates of dual coverage drop for the other plans where we'll see uh, for Medicare Advantage members, about 1% of Medicare Advantage members will have some form of other primary coverage. And then, then for commercial lines of business, it's about 5%, 10% of those members will have some form of, of dual coverage. Okay. Well, I mean... 15 to 20%, I would have never, personally, I've never have guessed it to be that high. And I would like to drill into each one of those, maybe a little bit more detail. But before we get there, you know, what, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some economic or fiscal um, incentive for health plans, you know, whether they be our customers or not, to to focus on coordination of benefits and understand where private coverage exists and where it doesn't exist. Could you share a little bit about that? economic arrangement and why then it is for, you know, it's worth, um, you know, um, the customers say, hey, we need to allocate resources, time, budgets, et cetera, for, to develop a coordination of benefits program. Absolutely. So you know, coordination of benefits, you know, the goal is to reduce your expenditure. This is a payment integrity program. Uh, so we're working on behalf of health plans and the, the end goal is to reduce the amount of claims that you're paying because you're not actually legal legally liable to pay these. Uh, so we're identifying that other payer who should be primary or some, this is even secondary. And our customer may actually be tertiary if we find the, the rare circumstance where someone has three forms of health insurance. As far as like the actual savings goes, uh, it depends on you know the, the type of dual coverage we're looking at. If just a couple anecdotes here, let's say we're working with a customer who's a Medicaid plan. Mm -hmm. And we find for a member that that member has primary commercial coverage. That identification on its own for that one member will typically save our customer $400 a piece. So you can think if we can find a thousand of those members, mm -hmm. what's a thousand times 400 that they'll, they'll save? In the, the commercial and the Medicare Advantage world, the savings only gets higher. The uh, reimbursement rates providers are higher, and the, the dual coverage is actually more stable within those populations. Uh, the Medicaid population itself is very unstable as far as the length of time that folks enrolled in Medicaid. Um, they, you know, fail to recertify. They get a, a new job right. or a higher-paying job. They fall off the rolls. They move between states. When you're in the this kind of commercial market where it's a lot of employer-based coverage, you'll find instances of those folks have dual eligibility for a much longer span of time and the savings is much higher. Uh, so we'll see that uh, if we had 
take a per member savings in the Medicaid space of $400, commercial world, it can be $600 or $800 pretty easily uh, per member. So David, let's let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the 15 to 20% in the managed Medicaid space where a member, you know, has other primary coverage or that percentage of membership has another primary coverage. On a state-by-state -state basis, could you share a little bit around some differences um, of how different states manage such a program or a primary coverage program? Because obviously on Medicaid is on a state-to-state -state basis. So, you know, just curious to maybe get some variation between, you know, I live here in California versus maybe the state um, that you, you used to work in there in K Kentucky. I mean, are there, is it, should want should our listeners think that this, there's more similarities or differences between this on a state-by-state -state basis, or talk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, there's quite a spread in the states as far as how well they handle COB. And a lot of it boils down to the fact that programs are going to be government-funded, and mm -hmm. you know there are limited uh, funds and budgets that occur all across the board, and that is the primary driver that impacts COB performance, and then you know, it has its flow-down effect to the, the private managed care entities. So and when I look at how well a, a state performs, you know, typically the, the first thing that gets missed will be at the member application. You know, ideally, a member knows that they have two forms of insurance, and then they disclose that to the, the state. A lot of those are missed because folks don't interpret the question correctly uh, and especially when you're dealing with a paper application or online where there's not someone, uh, you know, in the room with you as a sounding board, you'll get a question that says, do you have third-party liability? Most people off the street don't know what that question is actually intended to say, so they say, well, I don't know what that is, so no, I don't have third-party liability, and they just move on. You know, not, questions aren't written in a form, you know, that's easily digestible. Do you already have some form of other insurance coverage? You know, and then there's, you know, concern folks have of, well, if I say yes, does that mean I'm disqualified? And it doesn't, you know, but it's, you, know, you, you miss a lot just right out of the application process. So then the states will bring in, and you're typically a vendor, to then come in, try and find all that identification that they miss, and that's where you hit the bun budgeting constraints for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. There is going to be a budgeted cap for how much that state can spend in a given fiscal year on their COB program. And so to get around that, often uh, they'll contract with a vendor to come in and do uh, just a standalone pay and chase type program that's contingency funded. That way you, you don't have a large line item budget um, and you can allow the vendor to essentially you know, self-fund their program by taking a contingency off the collections. The big miss you have there is that there's there's not a large feedback loop going into the MCOs of here's your new members, here's their other forms of primary coverage. Uh, so those managed care entities are really left uh, to do that coverage discovery you know, on their own, and they, they need to have their own uh, aggressive and proactive program uh, to find that 15 and 20%. So when you say... The pay and chase, right? It's pretty intuitive in terms of what that is. But again, for the, the the audience, our listeners, it's essentially a claim has been paid by the managed Medicaid agency, organization, whatever state it might be in. And they say, hey, you know, this, this member, this individual actually has other primary coverage with whatever entities out there. We are now 
going to reach out to that entity and more or less claw back or recoup funds because we paid this claim when technically this other entity should have? Is that really just, I mean, in kind of a, in a nutshell, is that is that really the, the, the pay and chase model? It is, yeah. And in the Medicaid world in particular, oftentimes that recovery is done through what, you know, the technical word is reclamation. Okay. Um, and the, what they're trying to say there, reclamation, is that they're actually pursuing the other payer. You're going to take Medicaid claims from the state of California, and you're going to send them to Aetna or Cigna or whoever's liable uh, and try and, and get that primary payer to reimburse the Medicaid program. You know, on the high level, makes sense. Should be easy, right? But it's super ineffective. Uh, the, the best collection rates that we see in the Medicaid market are right around 20%. Uh, so if you oh, wow. pay that claim an error on the, on the initial run, you're going to get 20 cents dollar, 26 on the dollar back uh, for everything that you try and recover. Administrative fees are also very high on that uh, collections uh, workflow. Uh, so the more you can shift out of that postpay arena, catch it on prepay, pre-submission, member eligibility, not only are you going to save on the actual administrative fee of running the program, but you're going to bring back a lot more of those dollars uh, that you're leaving on the, the table in a, a pure reclamation world. So David, could you share a little bit with our audience about the shift away from reclamation and pay chase as you described to more of a prospective type of activity um, that you're seeing across the industry and then specifically here with Change Healthcare? You know, this won't necessarily be, you know, Medicaid specific. Uh, we see this same push for both commercial plans and Medicare plans of trying to break that sort of like retrospective pay and chase, however you want to call it, uh, model where everything is done after a claim has paid. Um, you know, that sort of auditing function has been the norm for 20 years. It's not overly effective. It's very expensive to run. And so just generally payers are wanting to, you know, shift left as they, they call it further into the continuum. Mm -hmm. Can you catch that savings earlier? A lot of what we're seeing right now uh, is being done you know, at enrollment and then the post-pay space. You know, we see that there's about four uh, points in which you can achieve uh, CUB savings in that sort of member and claim life cycle. There's at enrollment, you catch, you know, when that member joins your plan that they have some form of other coverage. Then in the claims area, you've got the pre-submission uh, area where you can flag a claim in the clearinghouse, alert the provider. You've got prepayment functionality, and then finally that last backstop of a, a post-payment uh, recovery operation. The, what we're seeing is that for the most part, payers are adopting a check at that initial enrollment phase, you know, can they agnostically of claims identify that other form of insurance? The the key areas of innovation that you know we're going to have over the the coming years are in that pre-submission and pre-payment phase. Mm -hmm. you know, pre-submission is going to be done by uh, clearing houses, change healthcare, others. Claim comes in, you do a near real-time check. Of eligibility identify that for that particular date of service there's a primary payer send the claim acknowledgement to the provider and ask if they want to reroute the claim yeah. not a hard denial 
encouraging them to get it right correctly or right, you know, right off the bat. The next gate will be prepayment. And that is more of a pause and investigate. You know, the claim's been adjudicated. You send a batch file to a vendor, some other internal group, and then they have a, a number of hours to flag those high dollar claims, do an investigation before uh, you actually pay the, the claim. The prepayment area is kind of the easier one to adopt uh, than the mm -hmm. clearinghouse functionality. Uh, but we see that the, the clearinghouse pre-submission space is going to, to be, you know, the real innovation in the market. Uh, and uh, we expect that that will be ready in the next like one to, to three years for the most part. So, David, can you share a little bit then about why you think it's taken, you know, what is it about now that the prospective prepayment um, move away from reclamation is really taking hold, as you kind of mentioned, either um, in the clearinghouse space or otherwise? I mean, is there are, is there confluence effects that you're seeing in the industry that are really saying, hey, you know, let's work smarter, not harder, or something to that effect? I think for the most part, it's market incentive. Uh, in the last you know, five years or so, there's been a lot of consolidation in the, the payment integrity vendor space, and it's yielded uh, several really large vendors. Uh, and for the, the most part, you know, those vendors are not incentivized to shake things up. Uh, they've got a program that works well. Uh, right. They're making contingency fees and the post-pay space. Why would they invent a pre-submission product where you know they may actually stop that claim, uh, but they would wind up you know with a a lower invoice at the end of the month if they were to move to that model? Um, so be, because of that stagnation, you know it's incentivized Change Healthcare and other vendors to to enter you know this market bring more competition and do something that's new. Uh, so that's where, you know, just frankly, we, we change healthcare have seen that, you know, COB was not being addressed in the, the market holistically. You know, it was being done inefficiently. You know, let's come in, let's do something new. Uh, and, you know, that fits the, the mantra of our company of how do we actually make healthcare run more efficiently and better for everybody. And so it's it's fair to say that in the in the identification space that there's not an incumbent and it is not a well mature um, space, if you will. I mean, it's it's kind of it's new and it's evolving and it's in that innovation kind of bucket. It's not you know in the reclamation piece. Is that kind of a fair assessment? It is. It is. Yeah. And you know when you think about vendor incentives, when you lean on that post-payment world, you know, there's just natural ways the program's going to work. A vendor is not going to pursue a low-dollar claim for recovery. Right. There's not as much contingency fee in it for them. They need to wait until they hit a threshold before they can start those activities. And so you wind up uh, with kind of what's called a case value, where you let a member's claims aggregate until they hit this case value or threshold, and then you start your collections process from there. Uh, when you kind of break that cycle and you start catching things earlier and you don't have to wait for that buildup to cover your administrative costs, you know, then that's where you really see an acceleration of COB program savings. Yeah. You know, and it's, I don't know if there's so much a comment as a kind of 
feedback is just fascinating when you think about coordination of benefits in the aggregate. You know, individual members, right, probably have no idea, or for the most part, right, and you mentioned the application, which is, is fair and relevant. Um, but a lot of them might not just be aware that they have this other coverage, right? Whether it be through a federal program or a previous employer, even maybe a family member. And, you know, there's all these activities kind of happening in the background that they just might not be aware of. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of an interesting dilemma to a certain extent, um, the way the model's just set up, because, you know, from, again, a member, individual member perspective, and they don't know. I mean, they can say, oh, I... I didn't realize that there's some other insurance that should be paying a claim. And so, you know, from an industry perspective, it's really incumbent, I would say, upon us to identify that, right, to um, ensure that it's done efficiently, um, properly, um, you know, to the benefit of our customers. I mean, I don't know. It just feels, I mean, you kind of get the same sense when you talk to customers that they're able to kind of connect the dots in a way that says, how do we bring the most value to the members, regardless if they recognize it or not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the great thing about COB programs is that, you know, there's very little member contact or engagement. You know, mm -hmm. with the Change Healthcare program, we don't do member outreach ever. You know, there's no phone calls or letters. It's completely behind the scenes. There's no member abrasion. You're just trying to sort out, you know, who's responsible and what order for that member or that particular claim that they have. You know, and your earlier point is spot on. A lot of these folks don't realize they have two forms of insurance. Now, the, the common situation always highlights children. Mom and dad may be separated. You know, there may be a reason they're they're not fully sharing, you know, who's doing what as far as insurance. And so, you know, they're both covering child for, for various reasons, you know, and they may not realize it. And they don't know necessarily who the, the primary form of insurance is. You know, they just know that they're, paying for their child to have insurance. And between those two forms, it covers the bills. You know, so there's there's nothing wrong as far as they're concerned, um, but then that leaves our you know, customers uh, to sort out on the, the back end of who should be paying and when. Yeah, which, you know, is a big part of the business, right? I mean, you gotta pay the, the, the fiduciary responsibility for that claim payment, you know, is not gonna go unknown. And so understand whose pocket it's gonna come out of is uh, a pretty big, a pretty big question mark. So, you know, David, I wanted to say thank you for your, taking the time and chatting with us today. Um, I found it to be very uh, insightful and I'm sure our listeners did as well. For our listeners, don't forget to check the show notes for links to resources and contact information related to today's show. As part of our series, stay tuned for additional Change Healthcare podcast. And for more information on coordination of benefits and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. I'm Philip Cardona, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.